Why struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. Okay, welcome everybody to the 100 Days and Beyond, the uh, podcast dedicated to, to post-merger or post-acquisition integrations, the podcast dedicated to the people behind the scenes, the people that are the, are the true, uh, I believe, the true heroes of the, of the M&A world. Uh, and there are so many different aspects to it. You might be an M&A professional. You might be thinking about becoming an M&A uh, professional. In other words, a mergers and acquisitions. You like the deal making. But as soon as the deal is struck, what happens is often the work behind the deal, behind the, the, the paper signing and the negotiating and the, and the due diligence, there's, I would say, and this is just a, a, just a very broad brushstroke, I would say 20% of the work is before the deal is struck and 80% of the work is after because to get the synergy capture, to get the value creation after a deal is struck is very, very, very difficult and it's a very highly skilled job. However, it's not impossible. It's done by real people. It's done by people with um, with a passion, with a, with I would say a love and a dedication to improving their skills, not just specific skills, but broad bra- uh, broad based, deep uh, and very rich skill base. And the experience that comes with that is just unbelievable. But from a personal point of view, and I'm sure uh, our guest today, Vladimir Cordier. Uh, is going to share with us quite a few things. And, and if I look at your, uh, I'm going to welcome you now, uh, uh, Vladimir. Um, if I look at your, 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 your LinkedIn profile, we see technology, M&A, integration and separation, uh, UK lead at Bearing Point Capital in London. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I'm going to go into, into your, uh, your bio and then we're going to um, say, uh, you know, go straight into the thing. But just a quick good morning, Vladimir. Are you are you well? I'm good, thank you. Good morning. <laughs> good, good morning. All right. So let me just quickly read your your profile. A results oriented and hands on implementation and transformation technology professional with over 20 years line operations consulting and international program management. Um, in the IT and business within senior technology roles in large corporations specializing in addressing the needs and issues clients encounter during their digital transformation. Massive topic, massive topic. And are we going to touch on some of the other things that, that you mentioned in your profile during, during, during the show? But but uh, good morning, Vladimir. We're going to just say, how did you get into this? I mean, technology, uh, integrations, I mean, those are those are two serious topics. What, how do they sort of um, compare and relate? But just tell us a bit first first about your journey. How did you get into this? Sure, sure. So basically, I started my career in telecoms as a as a support engineer for a big telco company, and then I moved into project management. And this is basically when it starts to get interesting because you go about planning and and, and making sure that the problem you face uh, when you're alive don't happen. So project management is a way to project yourself in the future, in the past. 
to, to prevent. So this is how I got into the kind of project management, IT, telecom space. And then for 17 years, I work in industry uh, for a lot of big companies like uh, John's, like LaSalle, Sharp Electronics, Expedia, the travel company. Uh, and I work with their senior management to kind of basically uh, look at their IT strategy and basically plan the implementation of those projects and then deliver them. So I would stay on the ground for a year or three years uh, with a cross-border team of different people. And most of the projects turn out to be post-merger integration because uh, many companies uh, grow by acquisition. And then you end up with a separate landscape network and so on. And then your job is to put them back together. So this is how I got into integration. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that that often, um, and I've been involved in, in, in IT and ERP and business management systems. And I think if you look at cross systems often businesses have multiple systems so even without an acquisition without some kind of uh, merger activity just integrating a new system into an existing system or uh, when a, a company purchases a, a a new system just that integration is already tough now if you add another layer on top of that in terms of entities joining and then trying to get some kind of synergy while you're working on the the technology side i mean would you say that that's that's a fair assessment of of the role yeah no no you're correct i mean uh, when you don't do it in a, in the context of an integration it's already complex so you have to have a proper planning and, and then uh, get the team and understand the interdependencies, but you're right, uh, it's another layer of, of complexity when you add basically a company with a technology that you don't know and people that you don't know and that you have to, to make them work together and to integrate. There's a lot of question mark all over the place. And it's another kind of level, and this is why I went into consulting as well, to kind of go into that next layer of complexity, uh, because I like complexity and make things simple. And uh, yeah, this this is quite challenging, but if you organize a project at the end of the day, so if you start to plan it early in the process and you identified all the problems and you communicate it well and you and you are there on the journey with all the people involved, uh, it can be very well done. Yeah, and, and, and there's this there's this um there's this phrase that uh, that people like to use, especially in technology, and I'm gonna throw it out at you. I just as just to kickstart our <laughs> our podcast in, 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 a in a slightly different flavor. And that is that those three words, can't you just, you know, it's, can't you just add that? Can't you just change that? Now you've got a project plan. You've got this rollout happening. And then with technology, because it, a lot of things are possible with technology, a lot of things you can do, you, you know, you can integrate, you can plug in, you can do all kinds of things. But that can't you just that that mentality of, you know, it's just easy. Can't you can't you just quickly add that function there or that screen or, or just take that away? It's it's you know it's not going to make much of a difference. But the impact behind the scenes is massive. But also the user, the user adoptability, the user interface. But just tell me if what's your experience around that before we go into a little bit more detail in in, in your in your bio. Um, what's what's your <laughs> What's your what's your bugbear in terms of the the IT side of things? For me, that's always been the part where it's there's a plan, guys. We all agreed on this is how we're going to do it. Don't try and change it because those change requests or or variations in the scope are mm. the things that probably make the things 
the the biggest challenge, especially in technology. Just tell me what's your you know let, let's say what what are the, what are some of the challenges you face? Yeah, so I have to admit I've been very lucky because early in my career I had to do my Prince too, which is like one of the project management uh, degree uh, and certification, and it saved my life because I had to do a, a data center consolidation, and, and you learn really. I was young and, and, and experienced already, and I, I thought I knew everything, but it really gave me the discipline and the framework uh, and to deal with change as well. And here again, I mean, it's uh, I'm lucky as well to be Scrum uh, Master certified and to have worked in a Scrum environment, so I, I can see both of them and when we talk about Agile. And to answer your question, I would say anything is possible, and, and the plan is a plan. And the longer the project, the more changes are going to come your way because there's a new management, a new technology, a new constraints. So change come all the time. So here again, if you manage them in a controlled way, so basically you just look them as a change request. You identify what the ask is. Then you do a quick survey around you. You, you identify the impact in terms of cost, uh, timing, people. You revert it back to the person who asked for it. You make sure your sponsor are involved and understand. And then you make a decision. Either you go for the change uh, and then you, you all agree on what the impact is. And then you revise the plan. You notify everyone. Or basically, you say, no, we postpone it. We put it for later. So it's like anything. If you want to do an extension to your house, it can be done. You just have to plan it and understand the impact. So it sounds very scary. So as long as basically you're not in cowboy mode and basically you just don't go and do it, as long as you plan it and you understand the impact, mm. anything is possible and change is part of any project, especially in integration. Yeah, it is, and 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 uh, it, it it just when you're talking about it being being like a building project, um, I've 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 done a few uh, you know of my own trying to I did built one home myself uh, with builders and and so on. Not I didn't lay the bricks, but. Uh, as an example, you go on site and you think, you know what, that window should actually just be moved. It should rather be, you know, just three meters to this way because it'll just look a little better. We can fit more furniture in there, whatever it is. And then I speak not to the project manager, but I speak to the to the bricklayer. It's like, hey, Mr. Bricklayer, can you can you just shift that stuff across? You know, just instead of building the hole there, build the hole there. It's going to be like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So you have these these layers of all nice and formal planning, and then you've got the integration and the actual technical experts. Let's call them that the the technicians, the people that that are knowledgeable around the code and the software and, and all that. Um, that for me is often the the gray area, especially when you're doing transformations. And so on. So tell me, tell me, and understand that there's a formal process. But what's your experience about sort of in the trenches kind of work there? Yes. So here again, I always come back to the same thing for me. An integration is a project, so you have to approach it as a project, and you have to break it down into different modules and to a, a level that you can understand and that you can manage. And I would say the. Technology is the easy bit, if I can say. The, the complex thing is to, is to understand basically uh, what you want the technology to do and, and how long it's going to take, how complex it is. And, and as you've mentioned, I mean, either you're talking about front office system uh, or back office system. Uh, they are integrated these days with other systems. They speak to one another. And this is where it gets complex when you have to move them and integrate them with something else. And also, if you have on-prem and in the cloud, so this is where the, you really need to have technical people now on board to basically uh, technical architect and people like that to tell you what to do or not to do and to help you size basically the effort and the complexity 
and that's why as well these days, I mean, a company like ours, for example, we do a lot of due diligence. We do like code scanning. We look at your environment. Are you ready to move to the cloud? What are the risks? Are you using open source? Are you allowed to use the, those things? Are you allowed to sell them? So you really have got to do a lot of due diligence before you even think and start to do your project. And then you will get more successful because you understand where the gaps are, where the complexity is, where the interdependencies are, and who are the people you need to get involved? And do you have those people around you? So always, and I will come back to that for the, for the hour of the podcast, it's a project. So you have to plan ahead, look at all the projects, find some mitigation steps, agree with them. And it's easier. It's like building an IKEA shelf, basically. If you've got the shelf within the plan, it's going to spend a day. You've got the plan, it's going to take you a few hours. It's the same for any integration. You need to put the plan together, get the people behind it, uh, and then it's easier. Yeah, spoken like a true professional and, and also like someone that's got the experience. So so that's that's absolutely the 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 you know for me the uh, the comforting answer that we have professionals out there that are disciplined, that focused, you actually know what you need to do and you need to roll out. And, and I think that's really what differentiates bringing professionals into um, especially larger scale projects to make sure that the discipline and the focus and as, and especially the process is 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 in place and and i mean i'm going to talk a little bit about your company um a bearing point at, and and i just some of the things sort of just um stuck out at me where where you say we're currently and are we going to go back to things like i mean you were at shop and you were at expedia and you were at a, a few other companies i mean that's that's quite 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 a nice broad range but also very very specific around your role but if we have a look at uh, at your role currently, um, you talk about uh, um, the, the company providing a full set of services around M&A activities, covering complete M&A value chain, buy and sell side for helping clients minimize risk and maximize transaction value. But then there's a list there that says uh, target and synergy assessments. Okay, I mean, that is already a very complex, um, just a, let's call it a line item. We also talk, you also talk about transaction and, 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 and deal advisory, day one preparation, integration planning and 100 day plans, post merge integration, execution and optimization, carve out planning and execution, tech and cyber due diligence, change management and communications, program risk and transaction management. I mean, the list is just huge. Um, there is so much just to think about. And we, and, and, and for the benefit of, of, of the audience, we, in in the post merge or post uh, inter, post acquisition integration work, often you have these work streams. You got a work stream for for different parts of the project, if you like. And there's a wider scale project. Being a project manager, Vladimir, you would be thinking, okay, my my responsibility is this particular work stream, for instance. If you you know if, if you look at a, someone that's running an in integration management office that's looking after all the work streams. That's a different project management type of role to looking after one particular work stream. Other work streams could be sales marketing, could be uh, the uh, operations, logistics, and, 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 and even HR and, and, and finance and so on. But I think what you do here is, 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 is fascinating to me because it's, there's, although it's incredibly broad, it's also quite focused. So let's just start with target and synergy assessments. What is that? What is a target or a synergy assessment? Sure. So basically, when you're a buyer and you want to buy a company, uh, and we, if we look at IT, you want to say, okay, so if I buy that company, I mean, what are the synergy? Am I going to 
save some money as they're using the same ERP systems as myself. It means I can bundle the number of users and pay less cost. Uh, are they using a technology or have they developed a product uh, technology that we have been trying I work on some integration and with some nice surprise when the company was bought, we found out they've developed something which is live already that the, the company which was buying have been trying to develop for years. So there was some IP surprises. So when you look at all the IT stack and everything, uh, you will find that usually uh, the company you want to acquire and you've got a good idea when you start and you want to buy the company, you know what you buy. Uh, when you do the due diligence and you're allowed to speak to the to the company, which is for sale, you find that more about their competencies, their skills, their weaknesses as well. And in terms of synergy, you, you might say, oh, great, they've got a system which is better than ours. We're going to take it. We don't have to develop it. We don't have to customize it. It's there. They've got developers who are specialists uh, in that coding platform or whatever. So you can see synergy and you can put a cost on it as well. And you can say, and this is what we do in our job when we do an integration blueprint, or a separation blueprint, we can say, well, you're going to save X amount of money because when you integrate, you don't need those things and, and so on and so on. And you can merge the contract. Uh, unfortunately, as well, I mean, after a while, it comes as well. You don't need two CIO, so this is where it's a bit, uh, it's a bit tough. But what we start to see is that people, when they acquire a company, they don't get rid of people. Uh, like in the old days, sometimes they say, "Well, now there's new needs, so we need people. We we'll retrain them as data head of data or security officer." So there's a lot of new job which needs to be done, and those people have got experience, so you want to keep them or they are part of the transaction. And uh, so you start to see a lot of people stay on board, basically when the company is being sold uh, and they get replaced in, in new position or they move into the, the acquirer, uh, acquirer uh, company. So all of that to say that it's not only about technology, it's about people as well. If you don't have the people supporting the technology, you don't understand the people who are going to leave because they don't want to join the company which is buying them. So the change management and the people management and understand who are your key people and what they're going to do when they're going to be bought by someone else is very important. Otherwise, the technology in itself, even though it's in the cloud, doesn't really help. Yeah, and I just, I mean, I'm so glad you brought out the, the people element because sometimes one can get very focused. It's very easy to get lost in the detail around technology. Where is it? Is it on-prem? Is it uh, on-premise? In other words, uh, there's servers on site or it's on the cloud. And then you, in these days, you have combinations of the two. You have this this weird hybrid situation. Then you've got these APIs or or SDKs, as they call it, uh, the developer kits with, that have been implemented over the years. So if we talk about the people and the legacy um, and the the knowledge the in the the knowledge that's been built up in in an in an entity i mean some of the guys have even written some of the code for instance or they've written a trigger or they've written something in the background only they know about it because <laughs> they didn't keep any notes on it they didn't keep any records or documents it's never been documented and there are many many potential surprises and maybe surprises are sometimes a nice word uh, for some of the things that that, that you come across it, so 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 the I would say, and I want to I want to put this to you. How do you cope with having um, having an, a, a team of people? You're doing an assessment because at the initial assessments, this is now I'm I'm, I'm guessing target and synergy assessments. This is all about pre-deal work, isn't it? I mean, this is a lot yeah. about you actually get get the opportunity to get a glimpse only into the business because the negotiations are carrying on um at that stage it's not necessarily certain the deal is going to go through um but as you get closer and closer to letter of intent and so on and you can do a little bit more a little bit deeper in terms of your due diligence and start meeting the people 
you get a deeper understanding of who knows what and who are the real support go-to people in the organization that you can't really let go because they actually have the intrinsic knowledge of how things have been put together. I mean, just, just tell me a little bit about I see you smiling there. So so just, just tell me a little bit about that. How do you get that nuance, that balance right between making sure that the right talent stays on board, that the, the, the legacy, let's call it the... Um, uh, the built-in DNA or the built-in intellectual property that's been built into the systems over time. Because I can buy, I don't know, a, an SAP or a, a Salesforce license. I mean, anybody can do that. But it's the configuration that makes the difference, isn't it? I mean, I, let's, I'm just going to throw it out there. And who does the configuration? It's the people. Who does the support? It's the people. Who does the using of the software? It's the people. So I'm going to throw it out there. So let, tell me a little bit about what your sort of thinking is around target and synergy assessments, just using that as a backdrop. Yes, yeah, so, so you have two scenarios. I mean, either basically, I mean, you're right, and it's probably in one out of two transactions we do uh, when we look at buying a company and, and we, we have the opportunity, as you said, before the deal to speak and to understand which technologies they have, especially for small and medium-sized company because they don't really have got like a strong framework uh for many of them of contingency planning so you find out as they've developed usually you have to take the data from the, the system the company you acquire move them into your systems and sometimes the only person who understands the system and, and the code is gone so i've got a lot of examples where the people have retired it's a code that he created by himself or something that no one else uses so sometimes we have to go and get people out of retirement and pay them like a lump sum can you please come for a few days just extract the data from the system you've created so usually we're lucky we find the people uh otherwise you arrive and the people have developed the system it's their baby and basically uh when you say well we'd like to integrate it and stuff and you start to remove their right because you start to put if you've done basically a, a scrum and things like that this different right and people who are basically doing uh, testing can't really basically do other things so you have to be very careful and sometimes in small companies people have got all the right they can go and try something and see if it works when it's live but when you do it like in a bigger company, you have to you have, you have got stages and stuff and you have to test something before you push it live. And, and some people, sometimes you have to remove their right and they feel a bit violated. You're like, wow, I used to do everything and now you want me to hand that over to someone. So you really have got to understand the people and, and how to keep them engaged during the integration. And they want to know if they will be there after the integration, after a few months. So you've got the day one, but then you've got a few months down the line. Uh, there's expectation that things will be merged. So those people are, what's going to happen to my job? Why should I be motivated to stay with you? So you have to understand what drives them and, and how they can benefit you as well, because those guys know so much. So sometimes you move them somewhere else in the business, you give them other responsibilities. Here again, it's all down to people. The technology is okay. So we always manage to find ways. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not easy. It really depends on the people that have been managed and look after during the years and what the new company, which is acquiring them, can bring to them. So. And I would say that but in one out of two transactions. Yeah, and I, and I think another part of the target and synergy assessments and so on is, is um, often it might be exactly the same software, but it could be multi-jurisdictional. So it could be in different geographic regions, different countries. The taxes are different. The regulations are different. Even the language and, and the way that they've dealt with it. I mean, I, I've seen... Um, large ERP systems across different regions because everybody thinks they are different. You know, every every division of a company thinks they got unique, they need, got unique requirements. Yes, to a certain extent, but often there's there's a, a broad base of, of things that can be standardized. Uh, 
But often when you're looking at larger entities, you have localized adjustments. Um, if I think some countries sometimes are forced to have two charts of accounts, if you look in, in ERP, because the one is for the government, because the government likes the reporting in that way, and the other is for internal. And there could even be a third one because head office likes the reporting in a different way. And now they've got to set up a, a, a multiple reports and multiple integrations or, or multiple feeds. I mean, now you're doing a target or, or synergy assessment. You surely, I mean, that's it's, it's a, that's already just to add that one line for me is already a massive job. Now let's assume it's done. I mean, maybe you want to finish up on the point and let's assume it's done. Um, what does that look like when you put it together? I mean, when you now you're saying, okay, my target and synergy assessment is finished. What does it look like? Tell us how do you present it? Like, what, what, just broad. What, who do you sure. present it to, and what does that look like? Sure, sure. So, again, in, in the world of consulting, so we, we, we call that in a, an integration blueprint. So basically, it's the, it's the blueprint. So if when we integrate to company, what is it going to look like? Based on the limited amount of information you have before, basically you sign the deal. So usually you hear a lot about integration blueprint being done after the the, the deal is signed, but. Uh, we did a very successful integration of being part of it starts like a month before you sign usually the company wants to buy another company says okay we are nearly sure we're going to get the company or we want to show them we want to buy them and we want to make sure they decide to go with us and not with another buyer so we're going to show them a blueprint and what it's going to look like mm -hmm. and here again basically you've got uh, it's very simple first of all you've got uh what success would look like it sounds very simple, but usually here again, it's a bit broader than technology. So of course you've got the financial success. So I want to have uh, X amount of revenue and margin in two, three, four years when I buy that company. So this kind of drive the rest. In terms of culture as well, you have to say, uh, in terms of culture, you're gonna say, well, our culture is very cool, we're a startup. We're buying you, you are very old company. So we know some people are, go are gonna leave. So uh, it's gonna be hard, but we want to kind of bring that startup mentality, agility. So you can see already, you talk about culture and people. Then, of course, you've got the, the operation side of things and you want to say, OK, uh, my ERP system is going to be the lead system for that is going to be something different. So you, you set the scene already uh, from a kind of objective, what you want to achieve. So you set the expectation to the buyer and to your people internally. Then you have also, of course, um, you've got the different projects so you've got an idea already so here again here we talk about it but it's the same you will have a, a blueprint section about the hr finance sales legal and so on and so on but for technology you will say okay for our erp and all that stuff uh based on what we know is going to be a couple of projects and it's going to take a couple of months uh for the technology platform is the same we don't know yet and you start to, to list those projects and the risk as well we, we identify those people are going to leave because they don't like us here it's going to have to be a huge investment because the technology, what they've told us over a couple of phone calls and a couple of documents is very old. So you start to build a picture and the to be arc chart as well is very important. You're going to say in that blueprint, uh, well, on day one, nothing changes. It's just a reporting line. But after six or 12 months, we think we might be changing things. So here again, the document is very confidential. It's only shared with the top management so they can prepare their teams and they can say, well, I don't agree with you. I want to keep Bob because he's a very good guy. So find him a job. So you start to discuss the problematic and find mitigation. So this is what it looks like. And of course, uh, you've got your day one plan as well. What you're going to communicate is very important. And, and the small things you can do, like your email merge and stuff like that. So you, you identify, really, you just tell them the story, what's going to happen across everything, technology, people, culture, finance. And this is what it's going to look like, basically.
Yeah, thank you for that. Because I, I think uh, just the day one preparation, it's not even just kickstarting day one. I mean, we're just talking about the preparation. And and I think you cover some really, really good points there because um, I think where everything can go wrong is where people haven't actually thought through what is the impact of this whole project or multiple projects because it for me cro uh, crosses over multiple work streams although or let's not i let's not call it it but let's call it technology but crosses over multiple work streams your sales people use a, a crm your marketing people use marketing automation and other tools and social media and all that then you've got e-commerce you know that could either be seen as a as a as a sales portal or it could be seen um, as a shop front or something that's operational because it's a combination. Then you have all the other things that happen behind the scenes, the fulfillment. So there's could be things like, I mean, let's say it's logistics or something else. I mean, you've got proof of deliveries and you've got all these uh, technology things like uh, pick pack and dispatches. And I mean, it gets pretty crazy if you've got warehouses and so on. And then it comes all the way. Then you're looking into finance because finance have to report on a specific set of uh, criteria HR then also has to be payroll, so you might have clocking in, clocking out systems. Uh, I don't, you know, I think people that haven't been involved in in, in integrations or even just standard large-scale ERP uh, work or business management software work don't really get to understand the big, the the sort of how big this topic really is. And I and I thought this is, I mean, this would be a great uh, episode purely just just to highlight the technology side from a technology expert. If we go into transaction and deal advisory, and I'm guessing that target and synergy assessment leads into transaction and deal advisory. So now you're going to do all the advising and speak to the sponsors, to the different uh, team members. You're going to theoretically pre-deal, only uh, be allowed to speak to certain people. So often those people are very high level. They're not necessarily in the trenches. They're not necessarily the users. They probably don't even have a login <laughs> credential for their username and password to get into the software, yet they are making big decisions around what software to be used because all they potentially see are reports. They don't actually, don't actually see the processing or the transactional side of things. So I'm guessing that um, that you take that into account during your target and synergy assessments, your transactional deal advisory or day one preparation. Integration planning and 100-day and, and, and plans. So tell us a little bit about that because integration planning and 100 day plans, um, integration sometimes with especially with larger scale, uh, let's call it bigger, bigger pieces of software. 100 days is too short, isn't it? Surely. But there are certainly a number of things that you can be doing very, very quickly to get some quick wins. Tell us a little bit about sort of how do you determine what's quick? What's with fits within 100 days and what normally is could be a longer term uh, project? Sure, sure. So, so usually, I mean, here again, I mean, uh, when you do integration, so uh, as I said, I mean, the best practice is that you start like a month before you sign the contract on the buyer side and you start to paint the picture. And that integration blueprint will be a live document, which will leave like a couple of months after the day one and the 100 days. And usually you get the most synergies if you don't lose the momentum. I've been in roles where basically I work for companies, we acquire other companies, and for years they've been acquired and nothing changed. Apart from the logo on the website and the logo on the building, nothing was integrated. So I give you a very practical example. If you want to book a meeting with your colleague of the new company, 
you can see his email, his calendar in your Outlook because you're on different system, different Active Directory. So all those simple things make it hard for you to, to be more efficient. So when we do integration, and then it's usually a requirement from the buyer uh, and, and, and the advisors, we say, okay, now from the day you send the contract, you, Mr. Buyer, you've got uh, three months to create an integration blueprint. So you tell to the company you've, you've bought what are the project, what is going to be prioritized. You give them visibility, comfort, which is good. So now it's becoming very, very, uh, very common. And then that document that usually people have started before the day one starts to become more important. You have access to more data. To the people, as you said, below the top management, you start to speak to them. And then this is where it gets interesting. So usually the to not lose the momentum, you want to start some quick wins. So you can see visible uh, progresses and that the integration is happening. It's not just uh, an announcement on a newspaper somewhere. So, so the first, I mean, I would say the first things which happen are not really ITs are more about communication. You have to let your suppliers, your clients, uh, everyone know that you've changed. So you've got a lot of legal people involved sending letters and nothing will change. So you have to reassure people and, and, and make sure and things will stay the same. Then the quick wins usually, as I've said, is like merging your emails, making sure everyone is on the same platform. Uh, the website as well, the intranet start to move. So all the easy things. And then after that, there's still a lot of system going to live in their separate worlds. And then you start to decide based on early discussion and you refine, you say, okay, this system, we're going to merge it. This one, we're going to remove it. This one, we're going to go for a new system. And you start basically to do a priority list and, and based on the complexity and the cost and so on. So basically a good two months after day one, you put those things together with the various people and you agree amongst yourself what's, what's the priority. Changing the login as well, you might say, well, now we want different people to have login access. Uh, we want to start to move things to the cloud. It really depends what your landscape is. So it's very hard to tell you what happens on day one, but usually the quick wins are basically uh, the, the email, the website, the intranet, the very moving everyone to Office 365 and stuff like that, if it makes sense. So all the easy wins. And then the longer term uh, integration project, as we said before, where you have big platform which are integrated, sometimes the code as well is not ready to, to be migrated or to be consolidated or the code is too old and then you don't want to use it. So you need to have much more deeper conversations. So that's why you need to have usually extra people and consultants either independent or big companies because you don't have both companies normally have got a day-to-day -day job you've got to keep your operations running that's why sometimes you see an army of consultants and here again uh, it seems strange but if you want to go fast and do things well those people will come for a short period of time and assist you kind of plan and deliver things and augment your team so you can carry on doing your day-to-day -day business and keep keep basically uh, control of the governance the control so we bring a discipline as well as weekly meetings as monthly catch up risk and issue change management so basically you, you you see everything and you can report nearly on a daily basis on what's going well or not based on your initial plan so it's a long answer but uh, yeah that's what it looks like basically yeah and, I, and if i just think about the user experience um um, and we're going to touch on sort of custom and supplier experience because I mean, if you if you're changing, you're doing an M and A, you're doing some kind of acquisition, and then you've the whole integration starts to occur, and the user experience, the user must adopt sometimes these new systems that are being forced upon them, and the user adoption, the user experience, um, could either make or break. Uh, the 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 success the the software could be brilliant, but the user adoption could be one of um, uh, frustration. Um, they could, it, I mean, some people might even just leave because they're thinking it's just not too complex, 
or, or customers might just say, look, you know, it's just too difficult now during this transition period. I need, I need my product or my service delivered. But these guys are so busy doing their systems that they, they have stopped worrying about me as a, as a customer. And uh, I can't even get an invoice. I need a statement. I need to make a payment and someone needs to unlock my credit limit or somebody needs to, you know, whatever it is. Suppliers are the same thing. You know, as you mentioned, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because you, you often have to do this while the business is in operation, taking into account those people that you rely on to actually do, to be part of the integration are still doing their day jobs. This is, and theoretically, this is an extra responsibility for them uh, because often you say, all right, it's fine. I'm going to give you a new system, but somebody needs to test it. Somebody needs to help you scope it. Somebody, because it's not just, you know, a flick of a switch and say, oh, now you're using that system. Somebody says, okay, well, we need to pull a team together. We might need to do some acceptance testing, surely. Somebody needs to say, yes, I agree. Or, or we might have to have a cascading training plan that goes across multiple departments and saying, all right, you have now 365. You're used to your old um, email on your desktop. But now we are going, I don't know, whatever it is, is, is cloud outlook. I don't know, as an example, you know, that, that already is a shift. It's like, oh, no, where do I find it? It's okay. Well, it's here in my browser. Somebody's got to train them. Somebody's show them how to log in. Now there's different things like the, the browser behaves differently to the on-screen app. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm just talking about user experience often is, is the thing that, that's that that gives the perception of success or failure because it's all one thing to work behind the scenes it's another thing to get the user adoption tell me a bit about that How, what, what's your experience around that sort of contrasting world if you like so you know, it all comes down to planning and to to surround yourself with people who've done it before because uh, you can't improvise those things so uh there's a couple of things here first of all i mean Usually, when you uh, when you buy a company, there's like a TSS or transactional service agreement. So the buyer says, "I'm going to support you for X amount of months, sometimes years. You can carry on using my service." Um, so that's the company for sale. I'm talking about here. You can carry on using my my system. And you can carry on using my people for that amount of money until you integrate into your own system. So there's like no interruption of service for the end user, as you say. So people will still see the same tool, the same website, the same interface. And in the background, the buyer is integrating it or something like that. So that's the one thing that you, you must make sure you've got. So, so those TSAs are in the contract uh, and before day one. So you are clear on how you're going to be supported. Otherwise, you can impact the customer of the company you just bought. <clears throat> then there's the, the thing about the level of customization. I mean, uh, people, as you said, in the company which is being bought, uh, have developed probably customized the systems to an extent that it's only that company we can use it that way. So to, as you said, to make them move from the current system to a new system. That's why sometimes when we do a proposal to a client and we put a trainer, we put a translator, they said, it's an IT. Why do I have to pay for a trainer and a translator and a change management professional? And it's all about the journey. So we have to get the people on board. We have to make them understand what the process is in the existing company. Uh, we have to create a training material. Sometimes you can be a French company being a Polish company and in, in no one, so you have to have translator to create the documentation, translate, change manager to, to capture uh, the screenshot and when it's going to look like to create a training material, speak to the people, uh, have some workshops. So the more you involve the people, we're going to have to change the way they use system. 
the more chances you will get the input as well. They might say, well, and as you mentioned before, well, in our country, we have to have a special tax uh, module because of that. Uh, we look at things that way. We calculate things that way. So can you please make sure you tailor your new system? So sometimes you have to tailor a little bit or add new modules to the to the master to the master system from the buyer so that you can integrate the company. Because it's not just a copy and paste. As you said, country have got different currency, different requirements for regulatory reasons and so on. So, so this is why you need those extra people whose job it's 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 job basically to deal with those problems, document them, find solution, communicate and work with people. So here again, the success is to surround yourself with people who've done it before, who know who is going to work, the questions they have to ask, so the people can carry on doing their day-to-day -day job. They feel supported, they feel they are being listened to, and they say, ah, okay, that change is coming, but it's okay, I've got that workshop, I will be able to voice my concern and so on. It's all down to the people and all down to preparation and having the expert around you so you're not on your own. Yeah, and 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 that concept of team, the concept of communication, the concept of um, understanding—it's a change management role. I mean, you, you you talk about transformation, but in actual in actual fact, it's a transformation of people's minds, behaviors, um, habits. Uh, just you know, people go into autopilot often when you know. I'm talking about the users now when it comes to software. Now they get presented with a different piece of software, or you take your IT uh, department. Your, I mean, they they get quite accustomed to dealing with particular issues or particular users that have got issues, and then they're also dealing with with external third party providers. Often, they don't just have in house. For instance, they might be a third party providers that provide particular uh, software or services to the company. You must probably make assessments around that. Once you understand, uh, you know what delivery they do. Probably during during the the actual integration process, you you get to understand now where where they really fit. You know, in the beginning, it's it's all you know. You try and get a flavor, but as as you're working through it, I want to. I just want to touch on the 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 sort of the three things that that sort of float around all the time. I mean, we talk about um, integrations often have different. Let's call it levels of integration. So integration generally is either a very shallow. So it might just be, you know, like you said, just a logo change. <laughs> Everything else stays the same. Or it could just be no logo change, no systems change, nothing. They carry on operating. Or you could have a very deep integration where you where you bring everything on board into the new system or you adopt existing systems. But at the end of the day, everything is look, looks the same and people are all into one, let's call it one ecosystem. Um, that's integration. But now if we look at separation and carve-outs, um, and, and, and what always comes to mind when I think about that and, and, I, and I start thinking about the impact on data, because the simple thing like a customer record, I mean, I'm doing a separation. Uh, I'm doing some sort of carve-out. Now somebody's got to say whose data belongs to who, and where does that data fit? How do we do the data migration and, and all that? Because that, that in itself, I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there. Where, there's a difference between going into an entity and combining things or finding what fits best fit. That's a different sort of recipe, if you like. Now you're working on a separation or, a, you know, now parts of the entity are moving out. Now you're going to might have to split licensing down the middle or not down the middle, but you might have to apportion licensing. The new entity might be too small to afford the licenses. So the one that's been carved out, for instance, 
uh, they might not carry on now. So, so that you might be not on the on the sell side, but you might be on the buy side of a of a carve out. That's a different animal. That, and then a separation is an, again a different a different story. And often the banks get involved with separations, or where there's a regulator involved, and they say, "Sorry for you, but you're getting too big. You need to you need to." you know, split the business. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we got so many different scenarios I, I, and I've just point, paint, painted sort of just the high, very high level, level stuff, but give us a few of your experiences and maybe just some, some advice around that, those three areas. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, here again, in the pre-deal and in, in the blueprint phase, I mean, usually data regression will be one line uh, on the, on the gain chart and says data regression, you've got that big bar and it says something will happen with data. Uh, but then it's when you get to do the, the data migration that it gets interesting. And this is when you go into like project management and you've got that work stream called data migration. And as you said, it might be as simple as copy and paste. If they are the same system, there's no proprietary data. There's nothing uh, confidential. Copy and paste done. There's a tool for that. Or uh, if we go to the extreme, uh, and here again, I work on, on setting some data labs and migrating data from one place to another. And then you have to do encryption, anonymization. So you have to create like things in the cloud. And something which on paper was supposed to take two months took six months, for example, because then you start to involve the technical architect, the security people. So here again, we talk about data and, and customer data and there you've got their billing address, you've got their, uh, their bank account and all those things. Uh, it's super, super and GDPR, it's extremely, extremely hard uh, and you have to anonymize, uh, secure, encrypt, decrypt. And this is when it gets interesting because you have to basically make sure the data can transfer. You need places where you can move the data big volumes as well, uh, then you have to be able to, to place them, anonymize. So you have to create all those kind of different of box where things go before you can migrate them. Uh, it takes people time. Uh, so here again, it's all about the planning and have the expert around you to say, okay, this account, this is like a big uh, FTSE 100 company. I can't just shift, lift and shift to in my environment. It's going to take years or a year. And this is what's going to happen. And you speak to the different people and you explain back to your management. It's going to take a year because X, Y, and Z. You're going to need those people. This is what's going to happen. And uh, but what I found out about the data is that you have sometimes from one system to another, it can be an Excel extract. But then uh, one integration I've done, um, basically the, the company for sale, a digit number for like a piece of hardware, like 10 digits in a new system, you, you can only put eight digits. So you have to redo all the, the coding and change it and do like a conversion table. So all those small things. So you have someone like for one week just typing. So you, you really have to look in under the bonnet and this is why you need extra people because people, their day-to-day -day jobs, they don't have it. You need them to guide you. Uh, so here again, it really depends what you are moving into data, but the data migration is a project in itself and for each system. So here again, as you said, it's you have to look at it right. If you plan it, you understand the problematic, you've got the right people, you can do it. But don't get forced if someone says to you, it's going to take, you have to do it in two months, you know, it's six months, you have to be able to demonstrate why it's going to take six months. Otherwise, this is why you hear all those horror stories about integration uh, and MA never working. You need to be honest yeah. about this. You need to be you need to be honest about things. And sometimes it's bad to tell your clients where well, it's going to take six months. But this is the reality. Your people are telling you. It's not only us. That's yeah. Yeah, and I think I think you're absolutely right. It's 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 expectation management, uh, especially with the sponsors and and the people signing the checks and and the people that are signing things off. But also with with the users, the customers, the suppliers, and 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 so on, making sure that they understand a lot of things. And I'm glad you touched on things like cyber, the security side of things, GDPR, 
Um, you know, there are there's GDPR in the US. There's the um, the can spam and and all that kind of thing where you where, where communication coming if it's unsolicited, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, you, you have to communicate with your customers and and so on, and especially with the marketing departments. They they have to be aware, and customers have to be aware that that there's maybe now a new legal entity. There's maybe now new uh, new things, and they potentially have to opt in again to receive communication. I mean, it it can actually be very very difficult. But you have a vulnerability during the project because somewhere along the line, somebody has to transfer responsibility for data for security, for security systems, uh, passwords, logins, I mean, access, access permissions. I mean, all those in just in their own right is almost needs one person just making sure that, I mean, if I look at some of the access permission lists that that I've seen, I mean, they run on, on pages where you have to have someone signing off and saying, you know what? That, that person there is part of a group. So that's easy. We can do group access. But those individuals can't see that, they can't do that, but they must do that. So it's little hundreds and hundreds of tick boxes and things like that. So access permissions, training sign-offs, uh, acceptance, customer uh, engagement, supply engagement. I mean, the, the variations in terms of all that. I want, to, I want to just touch on, before we come to the end of the, uh, unless there's another point you want to make, but before we come to the end of the, the podcast, I think it's been, it's been fascinating because... You, you've brought out some of the, uh, the 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 really tough stuff that you've got to do on a day-to-day basis. Tell us a bit about the company. I mean, uh, let me understand about sort of bearing point. What is it? You know, I've, we've gone through a lot of the functional things. Is what, what does bearing point really do? What do you represent? I mean, you've been there now um, at, uh, since January, I think, twenty-two. You are, are are driving the that that. I mean, you you, you set up as a principal there. Let me let me understand that and, and the model and, and, and all that around sort of bearing point. What do you what do you do as a company? Sure, sure. So basically, uh, so bearing point is like a big management consulting and technology company. So uh, think of them as a mini Capgemini or mini Accenture. So they have an army of engineers who can set up SAP, Salesforce, create like a platform uh, tools. So an army engineer big in Europe. Uh, me, I'm part of bearing point capital, which is the M and A uh, division. Uh, so what we do, basically, we're a technology company who move into m So we brought, uh, as I said before, all that technical expertise and we understand system and things like that because this is what we do for a living. But then we add that discipline and that approach to, to merger and acquisition. And, and we do a lot of things. So before an, uh, an integration, for example, I mean, you want to know what the problems are. So we do like due diligence, like techn- technology, cyber as well, the risk. I mean, as we all know now from the news, uh, well, you might be buying something which is like a very easy to, to to attack. So is the code old? So do we have old legacy? Are you able to move your code to the cloud? So we've got tools and, and people who can find out for you. So we do all those kind of due diligence. So we prepare the, the transaction and the integration and the separation. Uh, and we do all those things I've mentioned about. So uh, I'm part of that m section where we advise clients before they do the things. We do all that day one planning, that day 100 planning. And even though we are specialists in technology, uh, we also understand that interdependency with other work streams. For example, when you change a tax, uh, the tax blueprint, it will impact your technology blueprint and what you're allowed to do in the setup in your systems. So we really bring that kind of expertise from a technology point of view and we merge it with the MA 
and, and we basically we do all kind of services. We we look at the market to if you want to buy, if you want to sell a technology company, because this is our expertise, and we specialize basically with, with tech companies. Uh, and we also obviously uh, we perform those integration and separation. So we provide a full end-to-end -end service to people who want to buy or sell companies in a technology area. And we support them all along the way, uh, so before and after the transaction. And of course, our 4,000 plus people can stay with boots on the ground to implement and do all those detailed programs, data migration, and so on. So we are the front end, if you want. And we prepare basically before people do transactions and, and involve technical people. Okay, wow. So, so, so are you saying Bearing Point has got about 4,000 people in, in, in the company? Is that, did you just correct. say that? Correct, 4,200 in Europe, correct. And us, we are like uh, nearly 100 people in the MA advisory. So we are like a small part, which is going because the need in the customer starts to say, well, we need people who understand before we do the transaction. So this is why we exist and we bring value here. Especially, I mean, I, and that's where I want to go go next as, as we start wrapping up. And, and, and from a career point of view, um, you've stayed in in sort of this technology space, but you've you've grown and developed your career and so on. Um, I want to know a little bit about you. I mean, you've been you've been at uh, at Kroll, you've been Grant Thornton, you've been ah, gee, Sharp Electronics, Expedia. I mean, it's been quite a it's been a really good um, sort of CV in terms of a journey in in these multiple multiple spaces. And what appears to be happening in a lot of markets, especially pandemic and geopolitical tensions and obviously the, just the changes in, in this world that we live in, technology has often been a driver in, for change um, because it can be cheaper, faster, it could be automated. Um, there are a lot of reasons why technology can, can really work for a company. Um, but it also makes, um, it adds extra complexity, but if you've got the right team and people, the complexity problem uh, diminishes. Um, to, but tell me a little bit about, about, about your career as you as you progress. How have you seen technology change since you've started until today? Uh, I mean, it almost like feels like anything pre-pandemic was like in the dark ages, and now we, you know, now we're in the modern era. But but a lot of the technology changes have started years and years ago. It's just almost feels to me, and it's just a perception that things have accelerated in time. Um, you're as a guy that's in the trenches in technology. I mean, what, what's your impression in terms of, you know, your journey through all the different companies you've worked with? What's your impression of for what you felt now coming up to this point and, and, and where are things going into the future? What's your, what's your view? I think over the last 20 years, I work in technology and uh, the shift I've been into outsourcing people and, and and shifting things to the cloud. So basically, because IT, I mean, normally people don't sell IT. They sell you shoes, they sell you a bread, they sell you a car. But IT is like finance, it's like HR. It's not. It's just because they needed to run the company. So more and more uh, of outsourcing company and, and, and cloud provider now take that, that thing out of you so you can focus on your business and they've been very successful. Uh, so it's great for people who work in project management and so on. So we don't even talk about uh, integration and separation. We just talk about people just like focus on what you do well, sell your shoes, sell your things, uh, make them, manufacture them, but then the rest, give it to someone else or run your IT, your HR and, and, and your finance and so on outsourced. So I would say the job of the people within the company has changed a lot. And that's why I've moved a lot as well, because a project starts, a project finishes. So you don't need a people at my level taking there for 10 years. Once you've done the big lift and shift and you've changed, 
there's nothing left to do. So you bring your experience somewhere else. So that's why you see a lot of people uh, like myself have been contracting part of my life because you just want to stay for the big stuff. And then after that, it becomes less interesting. So you move on and you, you go to the next challenge. So I would say things are, this is what I've seen. And obviously new changes have come uh, with basically moving things to the cloud and, and now the, the, the no code, the low code and so on and agile way of doing now. So things have got specialized and, and security is a big thing. Now you need to have a chief information security officer. So the data as well, the GDPR. So all every year something new comes and you need to specialize, train your people. So there's new requirements. So with moving things away and the new threats and things going fast, new jobs have appeared. You need to stay on top of the new coding and, and so on. So I would say the profile of people have changed. The role of the CIO has changed. The, the role of change management and program management is massive now. I mean, if you don't plan and if you don't do things, it's not going to work. So I said, you're right. The pace has changed. What you are supposed to do has changed. Uh, new tools, new processes, you just have to adapt to, to basically keep up. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, like you said, attitudes to, towards planning, attitudes towards change management, uh, towards people. People have become uh, the migration of people, people moving from one, one job to the next or from one, let's call it, project to the next. I think there's been a, a massive shift. Um, some really interesting things you were saying there uh, in, in the sense that there's constant things. So if we look at you and, and, and you as a person, Vladimir, for me, I mean, I'm just going to highlight a few things that stand out for, for me about you. And that's um, your ability to stay focused on the plan no matter what's coming at you. I mean, I think you're probably quite a steady guy when it comes to – you've probably been – uh, let's call it match fits. I mean, I, I used that in one of my previous episodes, but you, you you understand that there's a lot of pressure putting the plan together, doing the due diligence, rolling the plan, I'm making sure the teams are all coordinated, bringing the right people in, people selection, communication, all that type of thing. So what's what stands out for me is 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 someone that's flexible yet yet very organized. You stand out for me as someone that's that's always keen on learning and learning new things. Um, you you also seem to me to be a guy that 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 knows your purpose. I mean, if I look at your career, uh, you stuck to project management. Uh, you've 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 actually you know you, you you've gone. You stick to your lane. You don't try and be something that that you're not. Although it's a very complex environment, make no doubt. Um, but but you know th those are the kind of attributes I believe make a really good specialist in in your space i mean would would you say that's a fair assessment yeah no no that's uh, you're right i mean i love project management and and uh, integration is like the highest complex level you can do in project management so uh i enjoy it and you're right i mean there's need to be control and things needs to be planned but you need to be agile and understand the uh, and with year of, of experience you know all the things which are going to be thrown at you people are going to leave unfortunately sometimes people pass away uh, because of illness and things like that, uh, things get put on hold for a few months because of COVID. So you have to adapt. So you kind of see a lot of things, or you have a big outage or something like that. So yeah, the more experience you you bring into your your expertise, the better. So now you're right. Yeah, I enjoy change, and it's uh, when you bring that and you speak to people who've never done it before, it reassures them, and it's a, it's a nice thing to see the project finishing on time and on budget, and everyone is like. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and, and 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 people entering sort of project management, M and A integration work, that sort of thing. What what do you have a bit of advice for them? Do you have a sort of a few golden nuggets you could share with us? 
Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I'm lucky that I've come from industry. Usually uh, you got a lot of people who start in consulting and they learn. I said, if you've got the experience, the opportunity, whatever you are, to work on IT projects, anything, it can be installing an intranet, uh, a new tool, go and get the experience, uh, got certified in Scrum, Prince2, just see how things are done, touch it, do it, uh, because then when you have to advise clients, you understand the lingo. So uh, the more you get exposed and, yeah, get fused in three months project here, six months project there, volunteer yourself to be a business analyst, you're a finance person, if you want to get into IT, volunteer to be the business analyst to do the number crunching, but get your foot into the door, get exposed to the discussion, understand the terminology, uh, just be in, in, in the middle of it so you understand basically what happens, what can go wrong, uh, what the good things are done, so you prevent things getting out of control. So just get in there and that would be my best advice and, and learn on the job, basically. Yeah, so yeah, there's 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 no replacement for experiential learning, eh? To be learn by doing, and you know you can learn all the theory and read all the books and watch all the YouTube videos, but um, seriously, I think getting in the trenches and doing it early, like you did. I mean, you you got involved relatively early in your career, and and you've just you've 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 focused, you've stuck it to your lane, if you like. Um, if I come to and uh, we come into to the end now, and and if I look at Bearing Point Capital now, um, and it's a, an opportunity for the audience, whoever's listening, uh, what is it th uh, that who are you looking for? What are you looking for? And how can people contact you? So it's, it's very simple. I mean, we work with uh, medium size and, and and small companies, so startup all the way to medium size companies, so people up to five hundred million revenue. We are basically looking to divest to acquire companies and, and we basically uh, want people who know technology, who know about MA. Uh, we've got people who've come from industry uh, and we've got a good track record. So, this is the kind of people we work We already have got uh, a huge, uh, basically, uh, list of clients, mainly in private equity, because those people, I mean, do tend to buy companies and sell companies and, and, and make them grow. Uh, we've got also a lot of corporations. So we always basically looking to, to support the next Uber or the next Google or those people. So uh, yeah, if you're a tech company and you, you're about to do your first integration, I mean, uh, yeah, just give us a call. I mean, it's easy to find us on LinkedIn. And we bring all that expertise we've mentioned and we are quite approachable. We like to meet people face to face. Uh, we like to spend the time to understand the problematic and do all that due diligence. And we always provide an honest opinion as well. If you want to buy a company, we can look at it, give us uh, our opinion on the value, on the risk also, and we provide the tool and the expertise. So this is the value we had basically. So some people decide not to do those things and buy a company or just to do due diligence themselves and have some surprises. Some people, I mean, uh, work with people like us. Uh, of course, it's not free, but uh, it's a good investment. I mean, as we were discussing the other day, I mean, you invest uh, some money it might save you a lot lot more of time and hassle. It's all about planning. It's all about doing your due diligence. Like you buy a house, your, your bank asks you to do like a technical survey. It's the same. We are here to do like your technical survey and, and tell you what is going to happen. And you can say, well, I like it. I don't like it. I want to find out more. I'm going to buy it. Or I'm going to pull out for a moment. Open source code as well. Cyber security threats. Uh, have the people been in it? So we ask all the questions that you might not think about. Uh, that mm. TSA period, for how long am I going to get support, basically, from the seller? All those things we know we have to ask for them. But if you don't know the other question you have to ask for, you don't ask them, or people can basically uh, go without it. So that's the expertise you buy like any expert. Yeah. I love that. Thank you very much. I mean, and I think that summarizes very, very nicely. And then having had a conversation with you, obviously, prior to the episode, 
Uh, I've been very impressed by you know your whole your knowledge, your breadth and of understanding, and and clearly uh, Bearing Point Capital is a is, is a serious player in 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 the space. Um, I mean, some of the lessons I I'd learned prior. I mean, I mean, I've been in business myself for for a long time, but but there's a book I read some years back, and and it just when you were talking there, it's like you know it, it, the book, just the title of the book came to mind and 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 i hope you understand and all the audience understands the context is it's 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 a book called the road less stupid i don't know if you've ever seen it but you should really yeah. it's, a, it's a fun yeah. book to read but um the guy's theory is the road less stupid is to make less mistakes it's not to make more money <laughs> he, he he says that that often the companies or the people in in their lives or the companies and so on that get ahead in life are, are the companies that make fewer mistakes. They don't necessarily the ones that are outperforming everyone else. They just tend to make fewer mistakes than everyone else. And and when I when I listen to the way you explain Bearing Point Capital and that is, it's almost like that. Don't make the mistakes. You know, get the right kind of people on board. Get the right kind of advice. Understand that there are people out there that have got loads hundreds of years of accumulative experience that you could literally within a few hours or a few days worth of of work you might have to pay for it but you could you could make so many so much so much fewer mistakes <laughs> that are going to cost you probably hundreds of times more than the small investment you're going to make to 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 not make those mistakes and i think that i mean would that be a fair assessment yeah, I couldn't have put it better. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so I think I think that's that's the kind of thing that you guys put forward and present and so on and 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 I just want to say thank you very much, Vladimir. It was a, I I found it fascinating your your depth, the breadth of understanding. Clearly, I mean, it's only an hour we've got together, and there's not much deeper we can go than we did. But I mean, you and I could probably talk a lot about tech and 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 about the the, the nuances and and each project is different and. And each customer is different, and even the users and the industries and the the cultures and and so on. I mean, there's there, there are so many variables. Let's call it moving parts. You know, and it's not as simple as you know code bits and bytes. I mean, I remember learning in you know years ago in the 90s, zeros and ones. If you remember those bits and bytes, and it's just it's an on and off switch. <laughs> that's that's technology, but it's now trans transformed into much more than zeros and ones. Now it's, it actually is the DNA often, or the or the underpinning, underbelly, or the framework, or the skeleton of what keeps companies together and functioning, and improving, and and, and so on. So, but thank you very much, Vladimir. Um, any any final thoughts? Any any sort of last takeaway for for the audience? You know, I would say, I mean, with the the world as we know it, I mean, uh, there will always be company buying other company and people divesting, and uh, as you said, I mean, it's all about the planning and, and looking after the tech, but the people as well. And, and the more time you spend preparing and, and talking to people, for, for me, it's the, it's the thing as well. I love project management and uh, I put it everywhere and everything I do. Just plan, surround yourself with the right people and things can, can go right. I mean, there's always changing. There will be risk and issues, but the more you plan, I mean, it's like going on vacation. I mean, you just don't turn up to the airport and take the first plane. I mean, you, you look at the, the plane, you choose the code, it's the same. Just prepare things and then you'll be more successful. And especially in transactions, which are very complex because they involve so many stakeholders. Uh, yeah, yeah, just plan and, and 
and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Uh, Vladimir, stay on the line. I just want to say goodbye to our audience, um, and, and then, then I'll come back to you. So thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us for another wonderful episode of 100 Days and Beyond. Today we got a really special guest, uh, uh, Vladimir Cordier from Bearing Point Capital, uh, a project manager par excellence, if you, if you like, or, or someone that's been really in the technology space for, for long enough and project managing and understanding the scope, the breadth, the depth, and the richness of, of this very unique, special, but high-velocity, high but, but very intense environment. So, Vladimir, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, hopefully, uh, as an audience, you, you, you've enjoyed the, uh, the interaction. Um, you've learned a lot. Please get hold of Vladimir if you ever, if you need any of his of his services. Um, but thank you very much. So I th I'm 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 adding in a whole lot of new or additional uh, people coming in to the episode so that you can get a varying flavors of of the complexity of post merger or post acquisition integrations. That just the component parts are are, are huge, are massive, and and the varying aspects of, of post-merger or merger integrations or post-merger integration, post-acquisition integrations are, it, it, it's, it's quite big. And that's why I say a lot of the work happens post-deal. Although these days, and I think rightly so, M&A or merger and acquisition uh, teams that do deals are bringing integration specialists earlier on in the deals to make sure that that once the, the deal's been signed, the value creation and the synergy capture, as 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 is commonly known, is being done uh, at the end. Thank you very very much for joining us today. We look forward uh, to for you to join us uh, on our next episode. If there are any questions, please let me know. You can email me. You can uh, uh, come to me on on LinkedIn or any one of the other platforms. But all the best. Have a super day, and and we'll speak to you soon. Hi everybody, this is Dudley again and if you need help with a future or existing post-merger integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free, no obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need, what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk that's mergerintegration.co.uk or come to our website skillfulpursuit.com.